So I let Josh actually pick this one. I gave him two options. I was like, this animal or this animal, and he picked one of them. So, because I couldn't decide between the two. They're similar, like, similar creatures. I was kind of like, yeah, this one or this one. Mm -hmm. So he picked this one for you. Not necessarily for you, but because I wanted to learn about them. (laughs) And so now you get to learn about them. Neat. Hello animal lovers, welcome to my podcast where I geek out about animals. I'm Nicole, and you are listening to Animal Facts. This podcast may not be suitable for all listening ears, specifically young ones. And I just want to remind everyone that I am not a professional, just an animal enthusiast, because I just love learning about them. I think they're so cool, and they can do so many cool things. Some things I say may just be my opinion, and sometimes I am misinformed, or sometimes I am just straight up wrong. So forgive me, I am only human after all. But please email me at animalfactspodcast at gmail.com so I can correct myself and I also have the chance to learn from you. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy! Welcome animal lovers to the Animal Facts Podcast. I'm Nicole and my guest again this week is Brie. Brie! She's back (laughs) because she's great. (laughs) And because we're friends! She supports me in my dreams. Okie dokes. So, Brie, your personal question this week is, what is the most recent book you've read, or what is the book you're currently reading? Um, the most current book I've read is, um, I'm rereading it, um, Six of Crows oh, by okay. Lee Bardu. You're uh, rereading it? Were you rereading it last time I was talking to you, or are you reading um, it again? I'm rereading it again. Um, the one I finished before that was um, Rule of Wolves by the same that author. Series. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it's been good. Cool, cool. And then with that, what is one of your favorite books or favorite series that you would recommend? Um, I'd say I'd recommend... Hmm. Since we all know this is how I cracked you to talk was books. So now we're talking about books. <laughs> I'd say right now... Um, just because I'm rereading the Six of Crows duology is just so well done with the characters, the plot, the representation, and just the world building has been fantastic. Cool. I will have to read it. Mm-hmm. I see it. Every time I go to the bookstore, I'm always like, that looks good, but then I've never gotten it to read. I need to. Remember, I am your bookie. You are my bookie. I know this. I think my mom yeah. currently has a sassy oh, yeah. when she was reading it, and then... Josh was going to read it, and then I was going to give it back to you until I was ready to actually read it, so I don't just <laughs> hold on to your books forever. So ridiculous. It's a reason to keep coming back. It's true. It's true. Bookie. And then when I'm ready for the Three Dark Crowns Part 2. Yes. So crazy. All the They're books. meerkats. <laughs> Those queens. Oh, yeah. I remember getting through all that in, in the first book. It was just like... It's kind of slow at first, and you're just like, slow, and, yeah. and then it, like, all happens, and you're just like, what? Yeah. And at the end, it's like, oh, I'm going to get my crown, and it's like, you were supposed to be the sweet one, but now you're the scary one. Right? Okay. Right? Here so we go. Crazy. It's crazy. For those who don't know what Three Dark Crowns is, it's about three sisters, triplets, right? Yep, triplets. Who get raised by different groups of people, and then the one who is the last to survive, because they all try to kill each other. Uh, becomes the main queen, and then she has triplets, and then the whole cycle starts over. Yep. It's a bit cray-cray. It's a bit dark. (laughs) Hence the three dark crowns. It's a little crazy. But it's really good, though. They didn't want to kill each other at first, but then events happened, and now they're all... a misunderstanding of sorts. (laughs) They're all bent on trying to kill each other now. I can only imagine when they actually do start trying. And then there's, like, the mis... They switched which baby was which, and so crazy. So crazy. So many things. For me, a book I am reading is the Chaos Walking series. I'm still on book two, but it's really good. Um, And then I just, because I do a family book club with my family every month, and so the book we just finished reading was Brave New World. Super weird book, but... Oh, yeah. I I could not... Understandable as to why it's a good read. (laughs) Yeah, it was, that was the only book in high school I had to spark note because it was just super weird. And it's like, I yeah. can't get through this. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I had My to English read... teacher, I had to. Yeah, I read half of it and then I had to spark notes the other half. But I think the second half I would have preferred to read 
and would have preferred to spark notes the first half. Because <laughs> I feel like when I did actually end up spark notes, because I was running out of time because we talk about it every month, mm-hmm. um, I spark notes so I could like know what was happening so I could talk to my family about it. Um, but like when I did start spark noting it, that's when I was like actually like, oh, this is getting interesting. Where is this going to go? <laughs> but it was an interesting read of just conformity and stuff. <clears throat> but... But a series that I recommend to people is the Ruby Red series. It's about mm. time traveling, and I really like it because it's, it's it's an interesting concept with it. So it's pretty cool. Neat. It's good. It's also one of those teenage books where the girl likes the boy, and she doesn't know if the boy likes the girl, but she's also learning how to time travel. So it's, it's good. It's cute. Aww. You should read it. I so, read it down. Yes. Yes. Those are my, my suggestions and what I've read. Three di- or six six crows. Six of crows? Yeah, six of crows. Six of crows. Yeah, I think it has to do with um an old nursery rhyme where it's like um one f- like you see a crow out there, it's like um one for sorrow, two for mirth, um three for death, four for birth, five I can't remember, then six is for wealth. Okay. And so I was like, okay, I see what we're doing here. I'm not oh. sure if it's deliberate, but I would feel it would be. I see. Because isn't it about a heist? Yep. Yeah, it's the heist one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a fun one. Yeah. Heist, heists are cool. Like, I love heist movies, so I can imagine how good reading it would be. It would be like, <gasps> but in this, But in this case, it includes teenagers, and it's like, I, yeah. can't, I did not have that bandwidth growing up. Oh, no. <laughs> But that's also we grew up where we didn't need to. Yes. <laughs> I was like, all right, true. kids, have fun breaking in. <laughs> have fun storming the castle. <laughs> you think it'll work? It'll take a miracle. <laughs> Such a good movie. I just watched The Princess Bride a few weeks ago. It's so oh. good. Timeless. It's another book I need to read. I need to read that. Mm-hmm. I need to read that book. Cool. All right. You ready to guess your animal? Yes. All right. First things first. It is not a mammal. Okay. But it does have an A in it. Not a mammal has an A. Yes. And your first official clue is that they have a world day. So like like in, in, international red panda day thing, right? Oh, yeah. But we know it's not a red panda. It's like that. So their world day is May 2nd. <laughs> she just reached for her phone. <laughs> Was it going to actually do it? I know, I know. It would have been All funny. Right. <laughs> Okay, not a mammal, has an A in it, has a world day. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot so of it's them important to the world. whole world. A lot of them have world days. It's true, mm-hmm. a lot do, but also compared to how many animals there are, a lot don't. True, yes. So, something important to the whole world. Yeah. Uh, may I get my second clue? Yes, your second clue is that based on the type of species it is, because we're going to talk about them in general for the most part, Mm-hmm. Um, they can weigh anywhere from 40 pounds to 2,000 pounds. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's a wide range based on their species. Oof. Okay. And then your last clue gives you a hint as to where you can find them. I'd like to know that. <laughs> All right. Your last clue is that according to the World, the, what is it, World Wildlife Foundation website, they... Say that they are considered to be the Ferraris of the ocean. Jeez. They're sleek, powerful, and made for speed. Hmm. Okay. I'm thinking it's going to be possibly some type of fish. I'm thinking like barracuda or even marlin. Some kind of sports fish. Some type of sporty fish. All right, you ready? Probably one that people go out there fish hunt while they, uh... True. Something important to the whole world. Yep. Or tuna. Or tuna. Mm-hmm. All right, ready? Yes. Drum roll. A tuna! Yes! <laughs> Good job! Your last guess got it. <laughs> so I was debating on doing either swordfish or tuna. And Josh was like, do tuna. People don't realize how cool tuna really are. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we're doing tuna today. All right. And there are... Wait, how big do they get again? They can, based on the species, they can be anywhere from 40 pounds to 2,000 pounds. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so tuna do get really big. And they are important to the whole world. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. How else do we have tuna salad? It's true. It's true. It's true. So some general information about the tuna is that they are a saltwater fish, and there are 15 species of tuna, which I did not realize that there were that many species of tuna. <clears throat> but of the 15, some are, like, true tuna, some are, like, tuna-like, so it's, like, yeah. a weird, like, is it a true species of tuna or not? But Like, tuna-adjacent? Mm-hmm. So the 15 are albacore, big-eye, Black skipjack, black fin, blue fin, and the blue fin has three. It's um, Atlantic, Pacific, and Southern. Mm-hmm. And then bullet, frigate, kawaka, <laughs> little toonie, oh, long tail, the other skipjack, slender, and yellow fin. So um, for the most part, we're talking about tuna in general. I'm not going to specify like this, we're not, we're not just covering like the bluefin tuna or the albacore tuna. We're kind of doing tuna in general. And then I will specify certain species of them that I found information on. Yeah, certain um, quirks or. Yeah, but I didn't get them on all 15 because <laughs> otherwise this would be a super long episode and we don't want that. Because how long can we really talk about tuna? <laughs> could go for a while but true but until we're all bored of listening about tuna and becomes more of a lecture than fun that's 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 the that's the trick so um the species of tuna belong to a genus uh thanus um and then they are the true tuna and then the skipjack belongs to its own genus which is i don't remember um, and then a different one belong like some of the other ones belong to like genes that are tuna like, so it just depends in their category of like what ciphers them. But for the most part, people refer to them all these species as tuna. So they are related to mackerels, and their scientific name for most of them are thanini. Uh, Thanini, there we go. Um, and this seems to derive from the ancient Greek word for tuny fish or tunny fish. It depends on how you want to pronounce your U. So, and then that in turn means to run or dart along. So, tunny fish, yeah. tuny fish, referring, run and dart along. Referring to its speed and how quick yeah. it is. Yes, they are very, very fast. There's probably people. some Greek fisherman, like, I want to get this tuna, and, like, it's his Moby Dick or something. Yes! <laughs> Seriously. 2,000-pound tuna would be a Moby Dick. <laughs> that sounded weird. <laughs> Anyways. Well, we'll move on. We'll it re- is the Moby Dick of fish of tunas, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. We'll reel it in there. <laughs> reel it in. The puns! The puns! Mm-hmm. Alright, so the appearance of a tuna fish, because most people probably think that they look like just a boring old fish, or they look like a can of tuna fish. <laughs> Which, when you don't know what it looks like based on the can, yeah. here here you go. Because I only really know based on what I look at in my can, which is just, it's meat. Yep. And it's delicious. Are you a tuna eater? Do you like tuna? <gasps> you don't normally have it out of the house, but I do like a good, like grilled tuna salad like mm. on bread yeah yeah tuna sandwich with it like a tuna melt yeah tuna melt yeah yeah it's been a while but yeah i do miss it tuna's good i like tuna i feel like tuna's like a hit and miss with a lot of people mm-hmm. but That's i feel like smell. that is how fish is in general it's like if they like the smell of it or the taste yeah 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 all right so doesn't always quite make a splash <laughs> The puns! The puns! <laughs> Alright, so a tuna <laughs> looks not like a can, <laughs> but instead it's got like a torpedo-shaped body, so they're elongated, robust, and streamlined, with special swimming muscles that enable them to cruise the ocean highways with great efficiency. So they're super fast, they are built literally for speed. Lightning McQueen. Um, their body... Lightning... Ugh. Lightning McQueen under the sea. There you go. Lightning McFin? I'm kind of, I don't know. <laughs> Something, yeah. Tuna McQueen. I don't know. <laughs> um, so their body tapers to a slender um, tail base with a forked or moon crescent shaped tail. And then they have two dorsal fins. Um, one can then also flatten to reduce resistance in the water, which is pretty cool. So, good. 
They're very good swimmers and know how to control their bodies to swim fast. Um, then they also have a row of like these little small finlets that lead up to the tail that look like these little spikes behind their dorsal and anal fins. Um, which I don't know what their purpose is, but they look cool. <laughs> and then they, their body is, for the most part, covered in smooth, shiny blue or silvery metallic skin with scales um, adorning only certain segments of their body. So they're not totally covered in scales. Okay. Um, then the tuna fish also has a vast network of blood vessels in its body that's always keeping the body temperature above temperature of the surrounding water. So they're like a weird, cold-blooded, warm-blooded fish. It's super weird. So, like, because of this, though, they're able to basically go almost anywhere. So they don't just migrate with, like, the temperatures of the water like other cold-blooded fish, like, can, you know, they, like, actually can stay warmer or keep the water around them different times. It's weird. They're cool. It's very unique for a fish. Um, so specifically for the skipjack tuna, um, which is among, like, it's not among the true tuna species, but it is still, like, a tuna fish, pretty much. Um, it has, like, a very, like, the same body shape, color, and appearance as other tuna. Um, it is the smallest of the commercially fished species, and it's actually, like, it makes up, like, most of the tuna catch worldwide. Um, and then their backs are dark purple and blue, and then they have lower sides, and then their bellies are silver with four to six dark bands, and they can be anywhere from, like, 40 pounds to about three feet long. So, they're the smaller ones, and they are caught the most. The three-foot fish is the one that is... The smallest. The smallest. Yes. Yes. And you're... Five, almost... You're, you're not quite six foot, but you're almost I'm, I'm, like... I learned it was five, seven and a half. I thought it was five, nine, but... Uh, like, you're close, but not quite there. Uh, Still, though, more than half your size would be mm-hmm. a tuna. Just be like, okay, that's that's a good catch. There you go. (laughs) Seriously. Um, They're bigger than my child. But that's not saying that she's only a toddler. Um, The yellowfin tuna is covered in yellow fins. Go figure. Um, And it includes a set of three particularly long dorsal and anal fins that are curved and almost, that like curve back almost to the tail. Mm -hmm. And then they have a dark metallic blue back yellow sides, and a silver belly, and then they have very long anal dorsal fins and finlets um, that are bright yellow. And they can get up to 7 feet and weigh to up to 450 pounds. Oof. So they're a lot bigger. That's the, a lot of meat for the cans. Right, right. You only need to catch a few and you can feed plenty. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because only like a small amount of tuna come in a can. <laughs> but they're very delicious mm-hmm. and yeah. Like, I feel like it's still the perfect amount of tuna in a can. The other place I worked at, um, the tuna cans we got were this Oof, big. It's huge. Well, that's yeah. a sandwich shop right there. Yeah. <laughs> they would go through a lot of tuna. Mm-hmm. Good, though. Yum. I like tuna. I like tuna sandwiches. Now I want a tuna sandwich for lunch. <laughs> um, we're yummy. talking about tuna and these animals, and we're like, we just want to eat them. <laughs> All right, so How hungry someone must have been to look at the two hundred pound, two hundred, two thousand, yeah, two thousand pound fish. Are like, I want that. Right, so crazy. We're we're about to talk about that one. The bluefin tuna. Um, so they are the largest species of tuna, and they are the Pacific, the Atlantic, or the Southern, or whatever I said earlier. Um, and they are hardcore built for speed so they're super fast and then they have rectangle their fins retractable there we go i can read they have retractable fins and their eyes are also flush with their body um so they're like they can basically tuck their fins and basically just become like a little fish bullet (laughs) super fast if they need to um not the they're literally the torpedo <laughs> they are a torpedo uh so they can be anywhere from six to ten feet long Oof. which is taller than longer than me um me almost double me when they're about ten feet because i'm only five one 
<laughs> and then they can weigh anywhere from 1,500 pounds to 2,000 pounds, um, which is bigger than a horse. And can you imagine a fish bigger than a horse? Imagine just riding that fish. Ugh. No thanks. Um, no thanks. And they're you fast. Need, you need like a seatbelt to stay on it. Seriously. You would, because they're a torpedo. They're not, they don't have like anywhere for you to sit mm-hmm. on them. But yeah, so they're bigger than a horse. Like that's a Formula F1 car. <laughs> they are the Ferrari of the ocean. <laughs> um, but the average size for the bluefin tuna, based on when they like see them a lot of times and catch them and stuff, is actually about 500 pounds. So they can get up to 2,000 pounds. But their average is 500 by the time people catch them in certain things. So that's that for that. The albacore tuna, which I feel like is one that people know very well. um, Because if you get your tuna from Costco, albacore tuna. (laughs) um, They are slightly larger than the skipjack. And the albacore has a very long pectoral side fin or fins. And they reach almost the entire length of the body. Albacore is one of the smaller species of tuna, but it reaches, um, it's between the shipjack and the yellowfin, so it's not the smallest, it's just one of the smaller ones. Um, they are bullet-shaped with dark blue and black and lighter blue-gray sides and belly, and then they, uh, can reach up to four feet and be about 80 pounds. So they're about a foot longer than the smaller one and double the weight. So... That's that one. Big fella. Yes. And then the last one for appearance is the big eye tuna. How big are their eyes? I'm not sure. <laughs> Enough that it has to be mentioned. Right. Enough that it's its name. Big eye tuna. They are roughly the same size as the yellowfin tuna, which was the 7-ish feet to 450 pounds. So they get to be about seven and a half feet and 460 pounds. Um, they are smaller than the blue fins. They are still long and streamlined and they have a dark metallic blue on their backs. And then their upper sides are nearly white with the lower sides of their belly as well. So they're all really pretty to look at though, especially when they're not dead in a can. (laughs) They're very pretty metallic-y, iridescent, shiny fishies. So they look cool. With shiny shiny bullets. Yes, but (laughs) torpedoes. They are literally the Ferrari because they're shiny and pretty and fast. So, conservation of the tuna. What do you think they land on the conservation list for tuna? Hmm. Endangered, threatened, least concern. I would imagine threatened because it's a commercial effort. It's like it's hard to make sure, like, okay, no one's overfishing yeah. certain species and. If you happen to catch one in your net, are you really going to send it back in? True. True, true, true. I wouldn't say, like, endangered, but I'd say, like, it's definitely a concern or become a bigger concern. Yeah. Honestly, no matter what answer you would have given, you would have been right. Because there are 15 species, and they all have different, like, levels of concern of conservation. So, the critically endangered bluefin tuna only makes up 1% of the global catch. So the bluefin, which is the biggest one, they are the endangered ones. And then they, um, there's the other species are, some of them are least concerned, some of them are near threatened, some of them are vulnerable. In September of 2021, um, scientists were actually pretty surprised that the IUCN announced that several tuna species have stepped back from the edge of extinction. So they were getting pretty close, but then they were able to help fix it with different efforts. Um, So the southern bluefin tuna status improved from critically endangered to just endangered. (laughs) So it's still endangered, but it's not critically endangered anymore. And then the big-eye tuna is still vulnerable. The skipjack tuna is um, a least concern, which is one of the most eaten, caught ones. Um, I imagine it'd be an easy fish um, tuna to grow in, like, a fishery and then release in the wild. Yeah, I'm not sure about fisheries. I didn't do a whole lot of research on their fisheries, but because most of it was about the open ocean and, like, Mm -hmm. them fishing in the ocean. Like, wherever tuna are is where the fishermen kind of just line their fishing nets up and go for it. Um, But, so, because tuna is so well-known and so, like, popular, um, 
and super important to the economy for people as well because it's an affordable protein. Um, the annual catch is carefully managed by conservation organizations to prevent overfishing because of their mag mag migratory nature. Um, it requires a lot of international cooperation. So they are very like transparent with overfishing of the tuna and like mark like making sure that they keep keep it at a good level so that way the stocks don't drop because tuna have a huge role in stock markets and it's like they have a huge effect not just for like people to eat but also like our economy <laughs> they affect our economy a lot so they're very carefully and well managed to make sure that we're not overfishing them like obviously it's still difficult to prevent people because there is over bycatch but that's what it's called there is bycatch but they do their best to make sure, like, they're using different technologies to help with their fishing to make sure they're not fishing the wrong things or they're not catching the wrong things and they're only getting what they need. So yep. it's a very monitored system, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Because they have a really big impact on us. Yes. It's crazy. Tuna are super important in a lot of ways. More um, than you would think. Right? They were. There was a lot. I was like, whoa. I don't understand everything I'm reading. Like, I didn't know tuna would have a big, this big of an impact. Right, especially on the stock market. <laughs> so crazy. But it makes sense because tuna is a super popular thing. A lot of people eat tuna that don't, that can't afford, like, chicken or beef or pork or whatever, you know? Because mm -hmm. it's a cheaper, easy, and super healthy protein. Mm -hmm. Like, we feed our kid tuna all the time, like, in oh. his mac and cheese. Like, we mix it with his mac and cheese, and that's where he gets a lot of his proteins and stuff so Neat. he likes tuna mm -hmm. he'll eat tuna more than he'll eat chicken or beef so we'll just give him tuna <laughs> all right then so all right so the history of tuna Whew. history so the earliest tuna fossils have been found in the late paleocene period um or the early ecocene period and then a close relative of the tuna has been identified from the earlier Paleocene period. Um, there's an extinct pa Paleothunus. Uh, I don't know how to even say this next word, so I'm not even going to try. Um, and its displayed characteristics common are common to both tuna and bonito. Bonito. Um, and it suggests that the split of the tuna and the moon and the bonito did not occur until the early Eocene period. So within eight to ten million years of the two species, like these two species diverged. So mm -hmm. that's a weird evolution evolution segment of history that I don't know when all of those periods occurred, like millions and millions of years ago. But within eight to ten million years, the two species diverged from like uh, another one that's extinct that they shared common characteristics with. So, <clears throat> specifically to the tuna fish, um, tuna fishing is at least 2,000 years old in the Mediterranean area, and Aristotle was known to mention the bluefin tuna in his History of Animals in 350 BC. So that's pretty cool. Um, today, tuna is worth a $5.5 billion business, so oh, nice. super, super profitable and important, so it makes sense why they're very well managed and carefully monitored. Um, and then in December 2016, the United Nations General Assembly voted to officially observe World Tuna Day, which is on May 2nd. So that was established in 2016 because they were like, tuna are super important. We need to raise awareness and make sure people know and appreciate how important tuna is and make sure we're not overfishing or whatever and such. So. May the tuna be with you. Yes, may the tuna be with you. <laughs> tuna. May 2nd. Tu may tuna. Day. May tuna day. <laughs> there you go. Um, so their environment. Where are tuna fish found? Oh, I'd say more open ocean. Open ocean. Are you sure they're found in the ocean? <laughs> oh, where else would they be? In the sky? At the grocery store. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but where would they live? Oh gosh, imagine if tuna fish were like flying fish. Can you imagine a 2,000 pound flying tuna fish? 
Definitely being a pilot would be an interesting job, then. Yeah. 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 Ooh, weird. silver bullet going by, and it's like, radar, can't oh, even gosh. detect it. Seriously, the little torpedo tuna. So great. Torpedo tuna! That would be such a fun name for something. Like a race car, or... Torpedo tuna. Or a fighter of sorts. Like a fighter jet? Yeah. That would be such a fun little nickname for, and then instead of drawing, like, the shark or, like, the pretty ladies on their missiles, they draw tuna. Tuna torpedo. And then, or, like, the torpedo tuna for, like, a submarine. There you go. They draw that like their torpedoes before they send it out. Yes. Torpedo tuna. <laughs> I love it. So, their environment is that tuna fish are a migratory species, so they don't really have an established home range. Um... Some species are known to travel thousands of miles per year, and they do show preference for more, like, tropical and temperate waters all over the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans. Um, you can find them pretty much anywhere, but they do prefer, like, more of the temperate and tropical waters. And then they occupy what is known in the area of the pelagic, pelagic, there, the pelagic zones of the ocean, meaning, like, open ocean. Um, so pretty much anywhere, just not coastlines or, like, the bottom layer of the ocean. Um, and the pelagic zone is the largest habitat on Earth with a volume of 330 million cubic miles. Oof. I have nothing else to compare it to because it's literally the biggest habitat on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) You could put all the other habitats in and it still won't fill it. There you go. 330 million cubic miles. I don't even know what one cubic mile is, but I can imagine it. It's like a cube. Right? A cube that's that a mile so. by a mile by a mile, pretty much. I think so, yeah. Sounds right. That, that it sounds, sounds... It sounds like, like it would be right. It sounds like it would be right. It could be wrong, but it sounds like it would be right. <laughs> you know, Joshua listens to this one day, and then he'll come home and tell me if I was right or wrong. <laughs> but it won't be for a long time, though, until I know. <laughs> It'll be all right. Yes. I'll get a message one day. I was like... We were right. We, we were, were right, wrong. and you'll or, know. Or we were wrong, and it's like, oh, here's what it was. Here's the actual truth. <laughs> okay. But yeah. So You're close. They inhabit the, the largest habitat on Earth. The open ocean. Which now I just imagine it in uh, Finding Dory when they're like, open ocean. Like the auto, the whatever it is. Um, Sigourney Weaver. Um, yeah. Uh, Finding Dory. Yeah. Just whatever their, like, automated system of talking things are. Open ocean. So, and I just want to go to a, an aquarium and go see tuna. Real life tuna. <laughs> so, skipjack tunas are found mainly in the tropical areas of the Atlantic, Indian, and Pacific Oceans. And they have the greatest abundance near, like, seen near the equator. And then they usually swim near the surface at night, but they can also dive up to 850 feet during the day, which is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Yellowfin tunas are pretty highly migratory and are found throughout the Pacific, Atlantic, and Indian Oceans as well. And then most most of the Atlantic bluefin tunas are taken from the Mediterranean Sea. And then the big eye are mostly found in subtropical and tropical areas of the Atlantic, but not in the Mediterranean. Um, but they're also found in Indian and Pacific Oceans. So they're like found in this area, but not in this one area. Mm-hmm. They, the big eye avoid where the bluefin is, apparently. They're like, you know what? Now you made fun of me mm-hmm. in my eye. So no. <laughs> you made fun of me in my eye, my single eye. The what sec- if they do have just one big eye and the other eye is small? <laughs> Maybe. That would be so funny. be like a cyclops almost. They're like the derpy, the derpy fish, but it's like on opposite sides of their face. Can you imagine, like, okay, you split, right? You have your nose, so you have, like, the eyes on the sides of your head, and one is, like, really big, and one is really small, and you, like, as a a person, you're like, why do I see so well on this side, but this side is so hard to see? Or it's, like, different type of vision. Maybe he'd need, like, a monocle just to see better. Nearsighted, one is farsighted. I feel like I'd have to close my eye a lot to figure out what I was doing. I feel like I'd be swimming in circles. A single alive. monocle. What if you needed the monocle for... Can you imagine making glasses for, like, if you had one giant eye and one small eye? How, like, opposite your glasses would be? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be very... 
The optometrist is going to have a fun time. Yeah, the people who make your glasses are going to have... You feel like those glasses would be so expensive because they'd be so custom. Dang. Imagine trying on all the frames for a pair that you like. (laughs) Yeah. I remember I was at the eye doctor way too long ago and I need to go again. But I remember looking at some of the glasses and one of them, they did have like one, like one side of it was square and one side of it was round. And oh. that was like the style of it because, and they were so expensive. And I was like, but why? Like, why would you do this? I'm not an art piece. It's like when you talk to someone, how are you going to focus? Right? Like, do I look at the round lens or the square mm. lens? It's like in uh, Moana, just pick an eye. Just pick an eye, babe. Just, just focus. <laughs> I like, pick one. This one, just pick one. Pick one. <laughs> right? I was like, well, when you're doing that, it's kind of hard. I know. Oh, gosh. So now we've got, that would be our version of one big eye and one small eye is just a round lens and a square lens. Maybe a triangle lens mixed with oh a boy. hexagon or something. I don't know. I, I, think I've, I think I've seen that. Yeah. Those that are pretty cool looking. Hexagon on both sides or a hexagon and a triangle? Because um, um, I feel like that would sides. be weird. Uh, both sides. Both sides. Both sides. <laughs> hexagons would be cool. They're so like popular right now. They're so trendy because hexagons are the best of I have hexagons on the ceiling. <laughs> oh, I did not see that. Yep, they're there to help absorb a bit of the sound. Neat. Yep. Hexagons. Okie dokie, artichokey. And like honeycomb. Kind yeah. Of shape. Yeah, precisely. Which, that's why they, uh, the bees have hexagons, is because they're the most efficient shape. Because you try to put triangles together, oh, yeah. you can only do so much, and ultimately, triangles make up hexagons. <laughs> But then you try to do squares and you, like, are limited, especially because their honeycombs have, like, angles, so hexagons. Ah. That's neat. Yeah. They're the best shape. Anyway. (sighs) Without getting into, like, (laughs) octagons and things. Okie dokes. So, their diet and hunting. What do you think eat tuna fish other than humans? <laughs> um, I'd say probably other fish, maybe sharks, um, whales. Not bad guesses, not bad guesses. Maybe for the smaller tuna fish, maybe birds could pick them up. True, true, true. Definitely not the the bluefin. <laughs> no. <laughs> that bird that would need some bird serious... would just get dragged under. <laughs> that bird's maybe a confident. dragon? <laughs> The bird's confidence would be up there, but as soon as he tried to pick up, like, nope, I can't. It's like he thinks it's, like, a small one, and then he's like, ah! It's like, oh, wait, no, bad idea. This is not good. My eyes were definitely bigger than my stomach. <laughs> nope. Okay, so, surprisingly, the tuna fish is actually known as an apex predator. Oh. So, they consume a lot of things. But they aren't consumed by many things. It's a very, it's not the most common fish for other fish to eat. Um, If another fish was, it would be sometimes a different shark or something. But for the most part, other... Something quicker, yeah. Yeah, or bigger. But for the most part, they're they're not really attacked by many other fish. So they're kind of, they're considered an apex predator. Um, So they eat a wide variety of other fish including squid and heron and sardines. Um, they're also known to eat shellfish and some species of rayfin fish. Um, and then the juveniles come out consuming plankton during their first critical, like, crucial stage of life. And they are, they're known as very, uh, tremendous predators from the moment they hatch because they seek out schools of other fish like herring, mackerel, and even eels. And they will hunt by sight and have, like, super sharp vision, like, the sharpest vision of any bonefish. Oh, jeez. So they basically hatch and immediately are like, food, 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 and like, start going for it. All right, grocery shopping, let's yeah. go. So as babies and juveniles, they're a bit more, like, uh, vulnerable for predation from other animals and other sea life. But for the most part, when they hit adulthood and whatnot, they're considered apex predators. So. But, I mean, many baby animals are considered... You know, easy target for bigger animals. So mm-hmm. even those that are apex predators. So, but yeah, that's that was something I found surprising. I was like, I didn't realize a tuna fish was an apex predator because <laughs> it doesn't look like what you originally think an yeah, apex. It's not predator a barracuda, like. but it's not a swordfish. It's mm-hmm. just 
I don't know if a swordfish is an apex predator or not either. I'd have to look. I almost did swordfish. (laughs) But then we wouldn't know about tuna. So. All right. Next time. Next time. Yes, yes. All right. So what... We talked about them being apex predators. So what uh, are the actual threats, I guess, of the tuna? And you can say humans now if you want. Well, yeah, humans. Um, <laughs> probably climate change and just overfishing in general. Yep, yep. So their threats and predators are overfishing, illegal fishing, bycatch, which is when they're fishing for something else and they happen to catch tuna. Tuna. Um, their biggest bycatch, because even when they are, like, trying to catch tuna, and they end up accidentally catching the wrong kind of tuna, because some tuna species will swim with others, like, the juveniles of, like, the bluefin or whatever will hang out with a different type of tuna, and so when they're catching, like, the yellowfin or the skipjack tuna, and, like, these other species of juvenile tunas are caught in with those nets because they're hanging out in together, that's when it's, like, the bycatch, so then those tunas don't have a chance to go and spawn and have babies so then there's less babies the next year um so that's the bycatch for tuna for the most part is when they are hunting other tuna but they happen to catch younger tuna that they don't intend to catch quite yet because they need them Mm -hmm. to still have babies um it's like oh come on throw them back in i know so that's that's the bycatch of tuna and then like we said sometimes other large predators will get them like some species or whale or some sharks or whales and then when they're small enough, certain birds and other fish can consume them when they're babies. But for the most part, they're pretty, pretty on top of the food chain. Um, other than humans. <laughs> humans are their biggest threat. <laughs> and then their behavior. What do you think the behavior of the tuna is? Um, let's see. Silver torpedo bullets. <laughs> um, apex predator. <clears throat> Hmm. I'm going to kind of say they're mellow, but they could also be aggressive when they want to be. I feel like that's pretty valid. They're pretty just whatever to themselves. Um, They're generally very much just taking care of and sustaining themselves. They're not necessarily antisocial but they're not like the most social they usually do travel for the most part in like groups because of their migration and whatnot and they do hang out in schools because um, mm. that's what a group of fish is called is a school so they do hang out in schools and they can be found in other schools of other species mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but yeah they're not like the most aggressive fish for the most part as long as they have food they're they're, they're chill. pretty chill so um don't they also have um, symbiotic relationships with, like, other smaller fish? Probably. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't have much research on that bit of it, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so as for their migration, because that's part of their behavior of how they spend their days and their time, they are known for long migrations and are capable of um, traveling great distances. Some geotagged bluefins have been tracked swimming t- from North America to European waters and then back. Oh, jeez. Um, several times in a year. So they won't just do it once in a year, they'll do it like multiple times. And then several other species are also known to vertically go through the water column. Um, and then the southern bluefin regularly moves about 8,000 feet down through the ocean in search of prey. Oh, jeez. Right? I can't. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And then the big-eye tuna will migrate more than 150 feet vertically in a single day. So they also just, they're just crazy. Um, And then... Adds a whole new depth to the conversation. <laughs> puns! All the puns! Um, they will descend early, the big-eye one, when they're traveling they'll descend early in the morning to the deeper cooler waters and they'll return to the shallower um bits in like when the water is warmer at dusk um and then they the adult skipjack tuna will also like be found in large schools so they like have large schools of them which is probably why they're so easy to catch a lot of them um, and then they'll often be mixed with the juvenile yellowfin and the big eye tuna, so that's when the bycatch happens. 
And then yellowfin tuna form schools with other tunas like shipjack and big eye and are also known to associate with dolphins. Hmm. So that's when dolphins can be a bycatch. Um, and then the bluefin will migrate across the ocean and then it can also dive deeper than 3,000 feet pretty quickly, which we kind of talked about. Um, and then albacore tuna tends to travel in a single species of school, so they don't usually mix with the other species. Um, and then they, uh, they migrate through all the ocean waters and the Mediterranean just as needed. So they mostly migrate, have babies, migrate back, and migrate, and have babies, and migrate back. <laughs> Especially that one going from, I think you said the Pacific to European waters. It's like, yeah. that's a road, that's a quite a long road trip. Yeah. And it's like you're not going through Panama. You're going all the way around. Pretty much. South America going back up. Pretty following much. Following the current. Yeah. Go from North American waters to European waters. Multiple times a year. Thanks. And back and forth. So pretty. All right. So let's talk about their life cycle. The life cycle of a tuna. What do you know about fish babies? <laughs> uh, not much, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's fair. Well, they're having them several times a year, so be a shorter pregnancy, but then would tuna be living long in the wild now? Probably not, so my guess would be like a couple years? That's how long they live for is what you're guessing? Yeah. No, they live a decent amount, but it also depends on the species. True. So, all right. Ready to learn about their life cycle? Sure. Alright, so they migrate, as we've talked about. And some tuna are born in, like, the Gulf of Mexico. And then they'll travel across the entire Atlantic Ocean to feed off the coast of Europe. And then they'll swim all the way back to the Gulf of Mexico and breed. So what their breeding consists of is spawning. So they will travel along this, like, salmon spawn, you know, Mm -hmm. their little spawning grounds. Um, So they'll basically get into these large groups of fish like super large groups of fish and they reproduce by spawning and spawning is basically when the egg and the sperm is released into the aquatic habitat and then reproduction for the reproduction to occur so fertilization all happens externally so they don't actually carry like fertilized babies in their bellies Mm -hmm. they have their eggs or their sperm and then they just release it all into the water and let like this cloud of eggs and sperm fertilize Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and they swim through it and they just that's pretty much what they do um and it's um, egg spawning is temperature sensitive so they have to make sure they're in like the right times and at the right temperatures and things and All those stars align yeah and it can happen between multiple males and females so it's not just like two fishies pair off and like shoot their stuff out it's like a large group of them are just like basically a giant fish orgy without any penetration of sorts <laughs> they're just shooting out all of the reproductive stuff in this giant fish ball um in these and basically just in the waters that they're found in for their spawning place um and then they just go on and do their own thing after that so they come here they spawn and then they leave they come they spawn they leave (laughs) um so but it happens for a chunk of time it's not just like for a day or whatever so they'll be there for a little bit and they are known to spawn daily um and depending on the size of female will depend on how many eggs she's having each day and how often or how many days she's capable of spawning. So she might not spawn every day. She might do it like every other day or she might just do it once. She might have only a few eggs. She might have a lot of eggs. They don't really, you know, it just depends on her size and her age. It's like a lottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with this, each female, for the most part, is capable of producing millions of eggs per year. So they do for like they do lay a lot of babies, which is crazy. Um, and then they are fertilized right in the water column of the open ocean. And then the eggs that do get fertilized hatch only after a few days, but then the development um, can take years from like when they hatch to when they're full adults that can actually also produce babies. Um, 
some of them. So the albacore tuna specifically, I don't know if this is all tunas as well, but they will have their eggs in like an enclosed like oil droplet thing and then they in, tend to develop pretty quickly um, and they hatch within 36 to 48 hours. And then when the tuna babies hatch from their eggs, they start out as tiny little larvas, um, which are only a few millimeters long and just not even a gram, like hundredths of a gram. They're super, super tiny. Um, and then within three to five years is when they'll reach like three feet or a meter long, and then they can be sexually mature within that time of three to five years, depending on the species. And then as they eat more, they grow bigger. Mm-hmm. And as they get older, they grow bigger, but they have to be eating to grow bigger as well. Mm-hmm. So constant food. Yeah. So they start from, um, I put it like in short, they migrate, they spawn, they lay eggs, which is the spawning bit. And then those eggs hatch into larvas. And then those larvas eat and grow into juvenile fishies. And then those juvenile fishies continue to eat and grow into adults. And then those adults continue to eat and get bigger. They mature and then they repeat the cycle. So migrate, spawn, hatch, eat. larva, eat, fish, <laughs> repeat. <laughs> so, um, the young and independent little larvas are young and independent, and then they will eventually start to form schools of fish as they get bigger, um, and they'll migrate with and like join other schools of fish. Some of them, some of them don't. Um, a lot don't make it to their adult st- like stage or adult size because as juveniles, they'll either get eaten or they'll get caught or they just don't get fertilized sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so not all of them make it, but a decent amount make it out of the millions laid every year from oh, yeah. the other fish because each fish is laying millions. Um, and they all have just mixed genetics because <laughs> it's not just a single, a single fish with a single fish. It's just... Orgy Multiple fishes. Mm-hmm. Plenty of fish in the sea. <laughs> um, but a lot in this one spot. Yeah. So some of the tuna can breed all year, which are the yellowfin and the shipjack. They're known to be able to spawn year-round. Um, and then depending on the species depends on the lifespan. So I don't have all 15, but I That'd have quite some a of bit. them. That would be. So the shipjack can live as long as 8 to 10 years. The yellowfin can live 6 to 7 years. The big egg can live as long as 15 years. Albacore can live as long as 12 years. And the bluefin can live as long as 40 years. Oh, geez. So it can live a good long time if we don't catch it. <laughs> Which is when they get really big because they've had a long time to eat and grow. That 2,000 pound one was hiding for a while. Seriously. So crazy. So yeah, that is their life cycle. Any questions on that? None cool. I can think of. Cool, 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 cool. Um, they're busy. They are busy fishies. <laughs> Gotta make lots more tuna for us to eat. So, cool, weird facts. Ready? Yes. The majority of the fish market is made up of the four species. Um, shipjack um, alone is like more than half of the global catch of tuna. But then it's also followed by yellowfin, big eye, and albacore. So those are the main, like, four species that we mostly are eating. But then the other ones are, like, more delicate or rare to get because they're harder to catch or they're more endangered. So they're a little mm-hmm. bit more protected and they're a little bit more, like, regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the main ones that we're eating are those four. And then they, we talked about them being super important for our ecosystems and economies because where they live, they are the apex predators. So they help to keep populations of other species healthy and balanced. And then they also are super important to our economy because they, um, both to developed and developing countries because they're a significant mm-hmm. food source um, and they're considered nutritional properties are like super valuable because they're rich in omega-3 and they also contain minerals, proteins, and vitamin B12, along with a lot of other advantages. <clears throat> and then they have that special vascular system, which is what helps them be like that weird warm-blooded, cold-blooded fish <laughs> with the ability to maintain temperatures of their bodies in, um, above the surrounding water so they can 
change their temperature based on what water they're found in, which is just super weird for a fish. Like a thermostat built in. Yeah, pretty much, because of their special vascular system. It's super weird. Um, And then the weirdest thing about them is, oddly enough, their fins. So they have some of the weirdest fins because they, um, backbone animals don't usually have, like, this skill. So it's super rare. But they can control their dorsal fins and anal fins by using their lymphic system. Their Mm -hmm. lymphic system are, like, your lymph nodes and stuff. So your lymph nodes, um... Like, when you get swollen, like, neck or lymph node or whatever, it's because, like, this fluid-filled vessel and nodes and stuff, because it passes and absorbs this stuff. I'm not going to get into the lymph nodes, because that's biology, and it's not my strong suit. But they use that system to basically act as a hydraulic system to stiffen their fins and increase their mobility when chasing their prey. Oh. So they use their <laughs> lymphic system kind of using for it as hunting. A yeah, it's super weird. Super cool though. So that is my cool weird facts. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't find any famous ones because there's no movie specifically about like there's no cartoon about a tuna. <laughs> there's no cartoon about a tuna. <laughs> Make a cartoon. Um, it but they fortuna. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> they uh. Appear, they show up at a lot in a. They appear. There we go. In a lot of documentaries and a lot of like movies have like tuna in their name and they're like the deadliest catch and so tunas appear in a lot of films and movies and documentaries and TV shows but there's like not like a specific like mm-hmm. tuna character that we can all relate to and nobody owns like a pet tuna for us to be like this pet mm-hmm. tuna so. Tuna in general are famous. Maybe in the next Finding Nemo movie. There we go. There'll be a tuna. A tuna. Sporty fish tuna. Um, so story time. All we right. talked about somebody wanting... Or what? I don't remember at the beginning. The person was... We talked... We made a joke about somebody wanting... Wanting that big fish fishing something. Oh, yeah. The Greek guy wanting to catch the fish because right. it's his Moby Dick. Right, right, right. That one. So... Here's a story about a person catching a tuna. <laughs> in 2013, Anthony Wichman um, was nearly pulled, had nearly pulled in a massive 230-pound um, tuna, which is about 104 kilograms. Um, and he decided, the tuna decided it wasn't going to give up without a fight. So it suddenly then decided to dive deeper, <gasps> which then capsized Wichman's boat. And so, and he, this took place, I think, in Hawaii, because it says the Hawaiian fisherman's leg was also wrapped in the line when the fish pulled it under. So the fish pulled him under. So he was able to get himself free somehow. um, And then he made it back to his boat where he had a waterproof cell phone. So he called his daughter and his daughter reported that all she could hear him was like, all she heard was him hyperventilating and puking. And then through his breaths, he was able to say sinking, Coast Guard, and buoy. So, like, from that, she then mm-hmm. called the Coast Guard and stuff. And he would he had recently been reported, like, fishing near, like, this one certain, like, prominent buoy. Mm-hmm. So then they were able to track his phone GPS and find his position and go and rescue him. Oh, good. Yeah, so he survived. He was taken to the hospital with some minor injuries, nothing too crazy. All right, he um, didn't lose his leg. No, he didn't lose his leg, nothing major, um, just very minor injuries and stuff, but a little sh- shocking and startling. Okay. But the best thing is that his friends then hauled in his boat back to shore because they're capsized, right? So it was, like, sinking and stuff. So they, mm-hmm. they hauled it back in with the fish still on the line. Good. <laughs> so he still got his fish. <laughs> And that would have been a good dinner. It's like, <laughs> I have won. I had the last laugh. That's right. You thought you could drag me 800 <laughs> feet down. No, sir. Not today. No. It's you who have the sinking feeling, not me. <laughs> so that's my fun story. Of the guy catching his Moby Dick. <laughs> and surviving. He didn't oh, die. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so lightning round. Ready? Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that could almost put me to sleep. <laughs> like a sound machine. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right, so approximately 7 million tons of tuna um, and tuna-like species are landed yearly. 
So we fish a lot of tuna. Tuna species account for 20% of the value of all marine captured fisheries and over 8% of the global globally traded seafood. Um, one ni- 2019 study found that the amount of tuna taken from the ocean has increased by 1,000% over the last 60 years, a rate that some scientists say is unsustainable, which I agree with. Yep, um, just a bit. So luckily it's hopefully under control and monitored so that way it can be contained and maybe we can find ways to... Just have more seasonal food rather than just a yeah supermarket that has everything. Yeah, we'll see. But, yeah. Um, And then their specialized body shape, fins, and scales enable some species of tuna to swim as fast as 43 miles per hour, but the yellowfin tuna can swim even faster than that. How fast can they swim? I don't know. (laughs) I just said the yellowfin (laughs) can swim faster, and I was like, okay. Um, But still, the fact that they can swim like 43 to 50 miles per hour is... Impressive for a fish. Mm-hmm. It's fast. Like, we're just going down like the highway over here. Yeah, exactly. It's faster than what we drive on our normal roads. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and for your last segment, I was trying to find like, uh, is the tuna like my spirit animal or totem or whatever, but I couldn't find anything good on that. So instead, I found. If you have dreams about tuna, what do they mean? So, like, the dream analysis of oh. if tuna are popping up in your dreams, what do those mean? Like, what's the analysis of that? So, uh-huh. take it as you will. Um, so, if you're dreaming about tuna... <laughs> you need to lay off it because you had too much of dinner. <laughs> to... So there, there's like seven or eight like different things about tuna too. It's not just tuna. It's like if you're eating it, if you're cutting it, if you're dreaming, like different things. So to fish or for a tuna fish in your dream, so you're fishing for tuna, refers to your desire to deal with problems by yourself without attention. To cut a tuna in your dreams suggests that you are taking matters into your own hands without being, without being a professional. So like you're going to do something without professional help or... Knowing exactly what you're doing. So probably not the best thing. You're just winging it. Yeah. But not in the best way. Yes. Eating a tuna sandwich in your dream suggests that you should do something new with your family. To dream a tuna fish as canned or as a canned food represents feelings of confidence. To dream a tuna salad um, (laughs) represents feelings that about ideas that are not awesome nor brilliant. (laughs) Just so funny to me. And to have raw tuna in your dreams suggests that you have to settle. Oh. <laughs> that's harsh. So those are your tuna. If you're dreaming of tuna and any of those things. That, that last one is not a good catch. Settle. <laughs> settle. Not a good catch. And my last thing is, can you name five tuna dishes? Um, tuna salad. Tuna melt. Um, maybe grilled tuna, um, right? I was like, I can do this. Oh, uh, (laughs) so I looked up some tuna recipes. I imagine, I think someone, maybe salt and straws put it in like ice cream or something. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, wait, maybe not. No, I was thinking they had one ice cream that had fish sauce in it. And it definitely tasted like it. Yeah, that's salt and straw put tuna. I've had like the mushroom ones and stuff, salt and straw, man. If you guys put tuna in ice cream and make it good, I'm all about it. But I don't know about that. That's that. a toughie. That would be a toughie. Savory ice cream is. Yeah. It's a careful art. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, what I got for tuna dishes was also tuna pasta salad, a tuna melt, or like a tuna sandwich, um, tuna tacos, which are I really good. Uh, like a Good tuna casserole, oh, yeah, and then also yeah. sushi. Oh. Like shishimi yeah. or whatever. Like there's certain tuna that they use for sushi or just like the spicy tuna sushi rolls and things oh. like that. So. Sushi. That's not, that's not a bad idea. That's what I got for tuna dishes. <laughs> that's all I got for you for tuna. Tuna. They, they do smell a little fishy. They do smell a little fishy. This episode's a little fishy. <laughs> And on that note, (laughs) bye. See ya.
I like that you say see ya. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, animal lovers. And also, thank you to my special guest this week. Please rate, review, and tell all your friends so I can continue with your support and sharing fun animal facts with you. I would love to hear from you. Your stories, your experiences, any suggestions you might have. Also, I would love to see any fun, cool art you guys do. You can email them to me at animalfactspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Animal Facts Podcast on Instagram for updates, cool art, and other fun animal-related news. Click the link in the description for the resources, the donation links to saving the different animals we talk about, merchandise, and other fun things. A special thank you to my family for my really fun drum rolls, my best friend Jewel for my awesome music, and to my guests for joining me in my animal passions. Thank you again, animal lovers, for listening and supporting me in my animal discoveries and adventures. And until next time, bye! Alright, so your last random fact that has nothing to do with tuna is, what is the difference between an emu and an ostrich? Do you know? Um... If not, you don't have to. I didn't know, and that's why I did it, because I've always wondered. I'm sure I've looked it up I think, I don't um, remember. Emus, like, I think originally were more primarily found in Australia. Uh-huh. And um, ostriches are in Africa. Yeah. Oh, that's it? Yeah, I mean, you're accurate. Okay. There are a few other differences, but yeah. Yes. Cool. Okay, so other differences between emus and ostriches. You are correct. They are the largest bird found in Australia, and they weigh about 80 to 90 pounds. While ostriches are the largest bird on the earth, mm-hmm. um, and they're also primarily found in, like, Africa and stuff. Um, and they, I think also Asia, um, and they so. weigh around 220 to 265 pounds. So they're a lot larger than emus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, emus are known as omnivores, and ostriches tend to be more herbivores with the occasional eating of insects. Emus have three toes on their feet, ostriches possess two toes, and then they have a long tendon that allows them to run at speeds of nearly 45 miles per hour, while emus can top out at 30 miles per hour. So there you go. I will not be the fastest person. No. No. I will just... Nope. Duck and cover and hope they don't peck my face apart. Oh, in Australia, um, they lost the, the emu wars. I know! to do one on emus and talk about the emu wars. It's going to be so funny. Mm-hmm. I feel like I do so many Australian animals. <laughs> they got... It, they have a lot of really I know, funny, cool animals. I know I've told you this one before. It's like God's dumping ground for his it's, bad ideas. <laughs> yes. Oh, so accurate. 